Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Any questions I ask myself. Hey, well, fam, how are we feeling tonight? Hey, I had not had a chance to meet you. My name's Isaac. I'm the young adult pastor here at First Orlando and part of our table leadership team here as well. And uh, we're continuing in the series, Sermon on the Mount. Um, and here's the opening question, but I want to actually hear from you because I know y'all asked this for the Minute Mingle question. Uh, what's the dumbest thing you fought about? Candy. candy? Why? Middle school. middle school candy. All right. Somebody over here, what's the dumbest thing you fought about? Dishes? Okay, okay, okay. This side, this side will wake up a little bit. That's cool. This side over here, you got anything? Uno? Oh, ooh. See? <laughs> and we're like, that's not dumb. That's actually, uh, that's actually incredibly reasonable to fight about. Um, uh, so for me, I remember uh, growing up, an incredibly just dumb fight that I had, and it was totally my fault. I remember um, back, I was, um, uh, back, I was a senior in high school, and I was with my mom, and we were out um, uh, visiting college campuses and trying to, figure that, trying to figure out like where I wanted to go. So we're on a road trip back from Dallas to Houston, but so what you need to understand about me and my family dynamics um, is that I'm Hispanic. Okay. And if you're Hispanic, you know exactly what I'm about to say. And if you're not Hispanic, let me fill you in. So in Hispanic culture, like honoring your parents is like everything. Right, and maybe you feel that in some of the different cultures that you grew up in as well. But like you, just honoring your parents, it's like you're. I, I was listening to one comedian, and he was like, "Do you know like?" And this is his words, not mine. He's like, "Hey, do you know that like white people kick their parents out of their room?" <laughs> and he's like, "Uh, uh-uh. uh." And I was like, "And I, for me, I'm like, I would never. Like, I could never do that. I could never kick my parents. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I could never kick my parents out of my room." Uh, but they're like, "Get in my room." They're like, "Okay." <laughs> like, I'll come back later, honey. Like, I, that, that is, like, not the relationship that I had at all um, with, with my parents. It was very incredibly respectful. Or like, even my parents and their parents are incredibly respectful. Um, so because of that, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's good with that. But part of what that does is that um, caused me, and this is no, no fault, just the, growing up within me, um, to then whenever I was frustrated, I had to just hold it in. And how to just like kind of keep it to myself because then it would come out in really um, um, unhealthy ways. So we're driving. So, so my mom's awesome, like love me really well. Uh, my parents are incredible. And yet within me, there's this um, uh, repressing of anger, like weren't allowed to slam doors growing up, weren't allowed to yell. It was very um, uh, like you, and I'm, I'm feeling getting some head nods here too. Like if you, if you also grew up in that house, even if you are white, uh, just with respectful parents. Uh, to, so then it was just very, like, res- respectful, but it almost like there's, I think there's a beauty in that, but there's also a, a dark side to where now it's a lot of repressing of emotion and, like, what you're actually feeling. So I'm growing up in this. Okay, so we're back on the, back on the car. So we're driving from, um, from Dallas to Houston, um, back from visiting a college that I was visiting up there. Um, and um, I'm driving, and I'm 17 years old, driving my mom's car, um, and it starts raining. And my mom, being my mom, and I'm sure like your moms, is like, all right, be careful, mijito. I'm like, okay, mom. Like, I'm good. I had been driving for like eight months. I'm like, I'm good, mom. 
And she's and then and then it's the rain like starts coming down harder and like it, it Texas it doesn't have thunderstorms that are crazy like here in Florida but it does happen occasion. So man, the rain's coming down now and now she's getting a little more worried. And she's like, okay, um, Isaac, you know you want to be a little more careful. And I'm like, that's my what my mom calls me. My name in Spanish, Isaac. Um, so she said, and I'm like, okay, mom, like, I'll, yeah, okay, I, I got, like, I'm good. And then I'm driving, driving a few minutes later. She's like, Isaac, you, you really need to slow down. You really need to be careful. And at this point, I'm like, I've lost it. And I, because I, I didn't know how to express emotion, express anger in a healthy way. So I say, okay, mom, you want me to be careful? I'll be careful. So I go over to the right lane and I start going 10 miles an hour <laughs> for the next hour. We, so now my mom, I'm, so now I'm mad at my mom. I'm, you know, she's just being a mom and loving and wants me to be careful. She still, <laughs> she still does that to this day. Like, like when now when my wife and my daughter, we go home, she's like, Isak, be careful. Like when I get in her car. Um, but so there, we're there, just, just picture this. Like we're in the car. I'm just, imagine she's a 17 year old. I'm fuming mad. My mom is, like, trying to navigate and handle, but also, like, give me space. But also, I think she's uh, annoyed and frustrated at me being mad out of nothing. Like, her just telling me, wanting me to be careful and, like, trying to be a good mom. So here we are, just, like, just mad and fuming. Like, I'm driving. And then she's there, just, like, kind of cross. And we're, so you, like, just imagine just the tension and the hostility that was in the air. And the reason you can imagine it is because have you ever just sat with somebody in the same room and there was just something going on in the air? And you could feel it. And there was like, you know the expression, like tension, you could cut it with a knife, right? And you feel it. Now, is there actually anything there? I mean, physically, no, but like emotionally, 100%, it is so thick and you can feel it just when two people are together and are just fuming, right, and are just trying to navigate that. And that's exactly what we're talking about um, tonight is how do we handle conflict with people that are in our day-to-day lives? How do we handle conflict with people that are in our day-to-day lives? Actually, for the next few messages, we're going to be talking about conflict and how to navigate conflict. So this is what this message is not. Um, um, My pastoral disclaimer, um, I love you so much. And some of us have experienced incredibly difficult trauma in our lives. And we need to navigate that. This message is not really to navigate. Although some of the principles are true, it's not really to navigate some of the deep trauma that we've experienced with some of our stories, right? So, I, and as well as some of us have like enemies that are like persecuting us, right? And we're going to be talking about that again in a future message. What I'm talking about mainly tonight um, is how do we handle conflict with the people that are in our day-to-day lives, just like the normal stuff that comes up, that comes up often, that comes up daily, not the extreme stuff. We'll talk about that later, but it's the normal stuff that comes out, right? Somebody, I'm um, just saying a word that upset us, somebody cutting us off in traffic, um, somebody, um, uh, somebody taking something that we want, somebody else getting the job promotion that we wanted, um, someone else um, being romantically interested in the person that we're romantically interested in. Like, you can't have them, they're mine, right? Right, how do we, not, just, the, just the normal day-to-day stuff. And so, um, so t- the way that we think through this normally, the way that we respond is this. So there's a scale on your screen here. And because typically we have um, two, most of us default into kind of two extreme options when it comes to conflict, when it comes to things that just, that, that just make us feel something and make us feel things that aren't good, right? So here's a scale. So on, on one side of the scale, um, this is me, right? And on this side of the scale is um, that we retreat. 
we retreat, right? So whenever conflict happens, we repress, we retreat, we withdraw, we hold it all in, right? Until we can't retreat anymore. And then we default, and then we go automatically into, to the other side, which is that we attack. And we lash out. Right? And um, so maybe if you don't know if you're, in, so all of us default into retreat, all of us default um, into attacking and attacking. This is escalating, like, oh, you thought there was a problem? I'll show you a problem, right? I'll give you a problem now. Or um, for some of us, we, um, uh, we, we were just really aggressive. And maybe the best way to know if your retreat or attack is to answer this question um, When was the last time that you were angry? Okay. When was the last time that you were angry? Some of you may say, Isaac, I have not been angry for a year. <laughs> and I would say, cool, you're probably on the retreat side of things. <laughs> you're unaware, right? Hey, but I say that, like, this is me. This is, um, so my, my I watch, um, my, so my daughter is uh, t- 10 months old, coming up on 11 months old. Uh, she loves Encanto. So I've been watching Encanto, like, every day, like, for the last 10 months of my life. I can quote almost every word. But there, if you've seen Encanto or, like, the movie, you know this. Like, Louisa, there's that scene, where, like, right before she sings her song, Surface Pressure, which I would argue is the best song in the film, Surface Pressure, by, uh, by Louisa in the film. So she's like, um, so uh, Matt, uh, Maribel, who's the main character in the film, like, she knows that something's going on and wrong with Louisa. So Maribel says, um, like, you won't tell me what's wrong. And then Louisa, out of nowhere, because typically she's incredibly very pleasant. And then out of nowhere, she's like, nothing's wrong. As she's carrying like 14 donkeys. Like, if you know the film, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and, then, and then immediately she's like, whoa, I don't know where that came from. Like, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. And if that's you, if you tend to repress and let go and then repress, let go, you may be more on the retreat side of things, just withdrawing and denying that there's a, even a problem in the first place. Or for some of us, right, if I'm asking you the question, when was the last time that I was angry, you're like the Bruce Banner or the Hulk, and you're like, that's my secret. I'm always angry. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, you know, like, this morning, right now you're mad. There's something happened in the parking lot, like, on your way here. Something happened, like, just something just made you angry. You're just mad about everything all the time, and then you act out um, on that anger, right, and you just escalate things and are aggressive. Uh, Man, so who here leans more on the retreat side of things? My hand's raised. Some of us? Should be proud. It's okay. My hand's right. Okay. Now, um, who here leans on the attack side of things? Hold on. Okay. 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 We good? <laughs> That's amazing. So here's uh, the question is, how do we handle conflict um, with people that are in our day-to-day lives? Right? Here's the question. And this idea of how we handle conflict, this is not just a Christian idea. Right? Because every job interview you've ever gone to, right, what do they ask? How do you handle conflict? Tell me a time you manage conflict. Right? And then you have to, like, make up a fake story about how you're amazing at handling conflict and or you've never had conflict ever before in your life, right? And just, just blatantly lie. Um, see, because how, how you manage conflict as a Christian says more about your faith following Jesus than memorizing a thousand Bible verses. Let me say that one more time. How you handle, how you manage conflict as a Christian says more about your faith than how much Bible you know then how much you pray, then how much you share the gospel with people. How you handle conflict is so revealing because it is at the very core of who you are because it just comes out at the very core of how you think of God, it's, which we'll see here in the text. It's at the very core of how we relate to God, which we'll see here in the text. It's how we manage conflict is probably the number one sign of where we are in our maturity. 
So why? Because how we handle conflict, this impacts every area of your life. Our spiritual life is not disseminated from a real life. Our spiritual life, let me tell you about your spiritual life. It's your dating relationships. That's your spiritual life. It's your future marriage. That's your spiritual life. It's how you parent, God willing, for, for you that want to parent. It's your job and getting promoted. That's your spiritual life. There is not a disintegration between our spiritual life and our real life. We have the same life. And how we handle conflict and how we manage conflict integrates completely the spiritual truths about who God is and who Jesus is and how we navigate the day-to-day -day realities of our life. How we navigate conflict is incredibly important. And whenever we're okay just sitting and fuming and either retreating or we attack, that's not the way of Jesus and how we navigate conflict. There's a better way to how to navigate conflict. So let me show you the better way. This is what Jesus says about how to handle conflict. This is in Matthew chapter 5. We're going through Sermon on the Mount. Um, he says this in verse 21 where he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So not murdering, that was the standard. Not murdering somebody. So you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay, right? Right? So, the, so that's, a, that's a pretty low bar. And actually, there's a, you're like, man, there's all, is that, like, that's the standard? There's a lot of steps you got to get to to, like, like, you watch true crime. You know how, like, methodical they are. There's a lot of steps they have to get through for, for murdering somebody, right? So, so Jesus says, um, and, but this is where we talked about this last week, how a right relationship with God um, uh, causes us to ask this question of not what are the rules, but it asks us this question of what does love require of me? We're no longer just living our faith trying to follow the rules. No murder, check. We're now living our life with like, what does love? God is love. God loves me. God sent his son Jesus um, to, to, to set me free, to make me whole, to save me. And because he saved me out of his expression of love, now I want to love other people. So it causes us to ask, not what are the Christian rules? We're asking, what does love require of me? And here's what love requires of us when it comes to conflict. This is verse 22 where he says this. But I say to you, Jesus is saying, I say to you that everyone, uh-oh, watch out. Everyone, that's all of us, y'all, who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And you're like, I don't have a sibling. All right, you're not off the hook. Everyone who is angry with his friend, with his family member, with his sister, with his coworker, everyone who's angry with the people that we live day-to-day -day lives with, that's who Jesus is talking about. Everyone who's angry with his brother, his neighbor, or his roommate, um, his boss will be liable to judgment. See, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, right? And, and basically this same idea of judgment. And whoever says... You fool will be liable. Uh-oh, this doesn't look good, y'all, for those of us that are angry. <laughs> to the hell of fire. See, here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is causing us to view our faith and living in the kingdom, not through the lens of following the rules, but through the lens of love. And whenever we look through the lens of love, Jesus is helping us to see and experience his kingdom, right? So now we talk through anger, and this is what he's saying. Hey, look, anger, this is what it is. It's you're angry, you're just fuming. Um, <coughs> um, you're, <coughs> give me one second, let me. Um, where we're insulting people, we're name-calling, we're derogatory. But here's, I want to help us understand what anger is. Um, so I'm um, not really a car person, um, but I know just enough about cars to know, like, what I need to do or, or know what I need to do and then not do it. So I'm driving on my dashboard, and then you guys know this, the, the check engine light comes on. 
So what does that typically mean when the check engine light comes on? Engine's not working. Uh, the, the, there, there's an oil, we need an oil change, right? So just there's there's a light on the dashboard, and then whenever we feel anger, that's basically what that is. It's a check engine light that comes on our dashboard. See, anger is a signal that something's not right. Our, us feeling angry is a signal that something's not good. Something's not good. Something's not going well. Um, something hurt. Right? Somebody hurt us. Something hurt us. Um, something is to toxic, right? So like for example, like let's say you're in life group. And somebody makes a joke, and everybody laughs, but you were the butt of the joke. <laughs> so now, like, okay, do I laugh? Like, I want to be cool, but can I be honest? That upset me. That, that, that hurt me. But I don't, like, especially dudes are like, no, no, I'm good. We're good. We're good, bro. Like, we're good. <laughs> like that. So somebody says something in life group, but the joke was at your expense. Or, or for example, I know for a lot of you, too. I'm like, uh, it's an example, um, your family, like you want to move out, but your, fa your parents don't think that's a good idea. And now you're like upset because they don't like trust you, look responsible. Or even like you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. And they're still like living at your parents' house and having to navigate that. And you're frustrated because you want to be an adult and you're trying to be an adult. But you, there's still this um, like weird relationship that you're trying to navigate with your parents. And it like you can be, it's, it makes you angry, right? So, so the problem is not that we notice something wrong. The problem is when our anger moves, because you guys know this, there's a difference between a signal light coming on your dashboard and the GPS that you're following on your phone or on your device, right? There's a difference. So anger is um, a signal that comes on on the dashboard that something is wrong. It is not the turn-by-turn -turn direction that we follow. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, where he says um, the, the problem that when we anger, the problem is when anger now becomes our GPS and it's guiding us, right? So now we're not just recognizing that we're feeling hurt or feeling angry or feeling upset. Now it's guiding us and now we're acting out in anger. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, is that, um, that we're name-calling. We're insulting people, right? We're speaking to people derogatorily. Or, remember us retreaters? We gossip about them behind their back. Why? Because we're angry. Do we want to talk to them? No. Do we want to talk about it? About them? To others? Yes. And you're like, ah, oh, but it's cool. I'm just venting. Like, no, you're, you're gossiping because you're angry, okay? We got we to work, work through this, right? Or uh, for some of us, we're just like fuming on the inside, right? And this is me again. We're like, it's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. Hey, is there a problem? No, nothing's fine. Everything's cool. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And like somebody, your friend of yours sees, hey, clearly there's an issue right now. And you're like, no, I'm fine. I'm cool. It's cool. Right? So, so what Jesus is saying is not that we don't feel anger, which is, a normal <coughs> which is a normal human condition. Feeling upset, feeling angry, feeling hurt, this is a normal human condition. That's not what Jesus is saying. Hey, never experience the humanity experience of being angry. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying when you act on anger, <coughs> when you act out in anger, when it, man, <coughs> I got words tonight, but yeah. Mm. Okay, maybe if I talk quieter, I won't throw my voice out. I'll talk a little quieter. Um, whenever, uh, what Jesus is saying here, yeah, that was helpful. I'll just, I'll talk quieter. Y'all can hear. What Jesus, is saying, what Jesus is saying here is not that um, we don't feel angry, which is a normal human emotion. He's saying, don't act out in anger. When you act out in anger, um, you be liable to the hell of fire. See, because whenever we act out in anger, um, 
we, we just get so consumed and we're not thinking clearly and we're not filled with the Spirit and we're not everything that Jesus is trying to do with helping us see and experience the kingdom of God. We don't experience the kingdom of God when we're acting out in anger. We experience hell. That's what he says here. You'll be liable to the hell of fire, right? So on the screen here, it says this, and this is not the big idea, but I want to make sure we understand this because this is important. How you think about and respond to people that make you angry says everything about your faith. How you think about and respond to people that, that make you angry says everything about your faith, right? You're like you want a character check, like you want to know where you are in your faith journey. Um, you want to know what, where you are in growth and spiritual growth. You, how do you think about and how do you respond to people that make you angry, right? See, because conflict, uh, it's not on your screen here, but <coughs> conflict is not what breaks relationships. It's not. Acting out in anger is what breaks relationships, when we think about conflict, some of us are so fearful. Oh, no, there's conflict. The relationship is done, or we're really fearful about it. Conflict and navigating conflict and handling conflict and managing conflict, that's not what breaks relationships. It's whenever we're angry and we act out in that anger, either to the person or behind their back, is when that's what causes division, that's what causes hostility, and that's what breaks relationships, right? I mean, I, I said this example earlier, like imagine a friend group. This has happened. Imagine a friend group where two people are now interested romantically in the same person. It destroys the relationship. It destroys the friend group. Why? Because people are angry and they have to like, navigate through that. And now like, people are talking like, behind people's back or talking to their face, right? And like, so we just have to, na- because if we don't figure this out, this is why it's so important to me. If we don't figure this out, um, the, the beauty of what God is doing with our spiritual family, that has no substance. You know, we'll see why here in a second, but it's so important for us to figure out when we're angry, when we're hurt, when we're upset, how do we move forward? How do we respond in a way that's not gossiping behind people's back or even like, like let's say two people, two dudes like the same girl, and then they're here in the lobby and they're like, I challenge you to a duel, right? <laughs> and they got like the war paint face on and they're like, for her honor, and they're fighting. And she's like, sees that. She's like, I'm not interested in either of you now. So... It, how we navigate this is so, so important. So the way that Jesus responds is like Jesus is going to get very practical in verse 23 where he says this. He's like, hey, look, if you're experiencing anger, I mean, here's what I want you to do. So if you're offering, you're, if you're feeling angry, here's what you do. Not acting out in anger, but before you feel anger, but you don't act out in anger yet, you don't act out in anger. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother Again, friend, your roommate, your parent, your coworker, people you do day-to-day life with, has something against you. Before you, okay, we just, we just sang Make Room, banger worship song, y'all. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's like, I will make room for you. That's how I sing back there. That's why I stand back there so y'all don't hear me. Like, my just hands raised, like singing. It's an incredible song. For some of you, that may be your new Worship Cry song. He's saying, hey, look, before you um, offering your gift at the altar, Right, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, right, if you want to raise your hands um, in worship, right, and you remember that your brother has something against you, right, you remember, oh, wait, I'm in conflict. I got to do something about that. Or maybe it's, not, it's in worship, it's not just singing. This gift at the altar is this idea of sacrificing to God. It's not just singing, right? Even before you came to the, before you came to the table or before you go on Sunday morning to First Orlando, before you take the Lord's Supper, take communion, before you give your tithe or your offering, right, and text gift to 4077, you know that if you're at First Orlando, before you have quiet time, before you go to life group, 
See, before you buy merch to help fundraise for Central Asia, before you do these acts of worship, before your hand goes up, before your wallet comes out, before your Bible open, before you pray, like you guys feel this, right? Before you do this act of worship before God, remember, oh, I'm in conflict. I need to make things right. And here's what he says um, in verse 24. Leave your gifts there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled. Come back to this word in a second. Reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. He says, hey, look, whenever you're about to offer your sacrifice, your gift to the Lord, um, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So there is something more important than worshiping God. See, reconciliation is this. To change from hostility, hostility to harmony. To change, a change needs to happen from hostility to harmony. And we need to do whatever we need to do to change from the hostility. Remember, back when I'm picture, back in the car, right, there's hostility. I'm fuming. My mom is trying to figure it out and navigate and doing the best she can as a parent, right? And I'm just being a butt, right? I'm just being a tur- little turd to her and being... And, and I'm there, and just, there's just like, you feel it, it's stick, there's hostility. And here's what needs to happen is reconciliation. Not being okay with there being a thickness. Not being okay with there being a weirdness. With there being just tension in the air. Not being okay with that. As Christians, we cannot be okay with that. We cannot be okay with broken relationships. We cannot be okay with division. We cannot be okay with not addressing conflict, right? So whenever, so we need to move from hostility to harmony. So I want you to imagine this picture, though. This guy, so he lives up north in Galilee. Galilee was up north in, in, um, in Israel time at the time. And it was about a six days journey from Galilee where Jesus is preaching this message all the way to the temple where the person that he's talking about would have taken their offering. So can you imagine a person is carrying an unblemished goat? Because they probably weren't a priest. Priest... An unblemished goat. Actually, I got that wrong. A blemished goat. A priest had to do, uh, this is way, this is, okay, y'all don't need, it's not important. Okay, (laughs) carrying a goat. If you're interested, it's in Leviticus. It's incredibly fascinating. Okay. Uh, So carrying an unblemished goat, six-day journey, (laughs) all the way, and you would have to, if you know the story of the good, the good Samaritan, you have to walk around Samaria, six days journey. It was, it was, it was a journey, y'all. Carrying a goat all the way to Jerusalem, a, p- trying to be a good Jew, trying to have, um, be a, a, have a covenant with God, doing what God asked of them by sacrificing a goat, right, at the temple, offering this gift, the sacrifice to God, and he's there, six days there, sweaty, he's tired, hungry, right, probably saved up, people didn't have money, even offering a sacrifice, it cost money, right, so spent money on the sacrifice, he's there about to offer it to God, and then he remembers he has beef back home. So what, no pun intended with the goat. So then he, what does he do? Leaves the goat six days back, all the way back to Galilee to make things right, to reconcile, to move from hostility to harmony. To then, that's incredibly inconvenient, right? Some of you, um, if you've got a bad lie, like we wouldn't even show up here at First Orlando, right? Like, oh, that's too inconvenient. I'm not going. But imagine that. So then, uh, so then, makes things right. Now, six days back, to offer the sacrifice that's now pleasing to God. 
now goes back home. This is the picture that Jesus is painting for us, right? So something that's more urgent than completing the act of sacrifice, right? In verse 25 where he says this, he says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. So this term quickly, it's on your screen here, this word quickly, you know what it means in the Greek? It means quickly. It means don't wait. It means urgent. It means you have no excuses. It means deal with it now. Go quickly, right? So, and, it's, and here he's given this, um, like, if somebody's going to sue you, do you guys remember the Johnny Depp Amber Heard court case? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, what a beautiful train wreck that was, right? Because basically you have two people that are just, like, airing out all their dirty laundry in public and, and just wait, and just, like, both of them, you can tell, like, they're, they don't want to do it, but they're just waiting for this day where it's going to be televised, it's going to be live, people are going to watch it, they can get their story out, and they can put the other person completely on blast, right? So this is what Jesus is saying. In the ideal, Jesus would say, one, he would hope that they were Christians following him, right? And two, to like, hey, don't wait till you get to court to settle things. Do whatever you can to settle things outside of court. Don't wait just to like have, don't wait for the, the court date. Try to settle whatever you can um, before then. Go quickly, right? So Jesus would have liked for them and for all of us to settle things outside of court. And then he says this in verse 26. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Here's the big idea for tonight. As Christians... As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as followers of Jesus that are being changed by him, transformed by him, committed to his mission, here is what Jesus asks us to do and not just commands us to do. We run to conflict. When we see that there's thickness, that there's hostility, that there's um, uh, things are not right, we run toward conflict to go make things right because that's what Jesus calls us to do as Christians. Right, as we run towards conflict, right? And the reason, again, this is so important is because I don't want you to experience hell. I don't want you to experience the, the turmoil, right? And not even um, like in an eternal sense, right? Although I think that's also true for people that are not following Jesus. I'm talking about just the, 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 the metaphorical spiritual death that we feel whenever we're in conflict. There's no life there, there's death. This relationships that we have that were once amazing now is, are dead. We need to navigate through this. Like, and I want you to experience the kingdom of heaven now. This is why we're having this whole sermon series, the Sermon on the Mount, because I want you to see and I want you to experience the kingdom of God and the joy that you can experience and the happiness that you can experience and the joy that you can experience and the peace that you can experience and the hope that you can experience and just the fullness of life and the abundance of joy that we can experience following Jesus. And if we don't deal with conflict, you will not experience heaven. You will experience hell. We have to figure this out. We have to run towards conflict quickly. We don't wait. Now, um, uh, I, um, I want to also give you the tools to do that. <laughs> there's four tools, there's four steps that I want to give you because I want to make this as, and we're, now we're about to go incredibly practical on how do we run to conflict, 
right? Because I want to help you know, and that way my heart, we were talking earlier with the people that were serving here, with the band and with the table host, and we prayed for you tonight that there would be a change in your heart, and for the first time ever, you actually had, knew how to take steps navigating conflict. Conflict wasn't something scary. Conflict wasn't something fearful. Conflict wasn't something that you were just okay with. Like, as Christians, my prayer for you is that we run toward conflict, and that's what I want to try to help us to do. We have four steps to do that. Um, these are adapted from, um, there's a guy named Ken, uh, Ken Sandy. Um, there's a book called The Peacemaker, A Biblical Guide to Resolving Personal Conflict. So it's The Peacemaker, um, the, A Personal Guide to Resolving Personal Conflict. So what I'm, what I'm about to share with you, these are four proven steps by churches, by ministries that have been used for a long time. So look, th these work, and I want to help us understand how we can navigate through conflict using these biblical principles. So number one, is glorify God. And we're going to ask this question. How can I please and honor God in this situation? And this is where we can pray, right? And like, God, could just can you use me? Like, I just want to please you. I want to honor you. Um, there's tension. There's hostility that I need to navigate. So before we ever have a conversation with another person, the first thing we need to do is have a conversation with God. And just ask him how we can glorify him and please um, and honor him, right? And we, and we know that God has empowered us Right, and we thank God for the opportunity, even though, and this is where it gets kind of weird, um, conflict's uncomfortable. Can I just say that? It's painful, it's uncomfortable, it can be awkward, and yet, what a beautiful opportunity for our growth and for the growth of someone else. So we can thank God for the opportunity, even though it's awkward and painful and uncomfortable, um, to help us grow and help other people grow as well. And we know, before God, that in conflict with our Christian duty and responsibility before God, we have a clear conscience that we've done everything that we can do for conflict. And if someone else wants to live in hostility, they can do that. That's not going to be us. If someone else wants to have a broken relationship, great. I'm going to have a great relationship. And if we can't have one together, I'm sorry, but and we'll talk through about that in a second. But we know that, hey, look, we've done everything to make things right, and we glorify God knowing that we have been fully responsible with everything that God has entrusted us to be responsible for. And that's how we navigate. Number one is we glorify God. Number two, um, we're actually going to talk about this one in a few weeks, um, but just to, to, to say it now, get the log out of your own eye. Meaning, when it comes to conflict, sometimes there, has, there are things that blind us that we can't see clearly. So b before we have a conversation with someone else and talk to someone else, the first thing we need to do is ask this question, is how can I take responsibility for part of the conflict, right? So this idea of, like, you need to own your part. Um, typically in, in, a, in a, a situation that happens, there's your story from your perspective, there's their story from their perspective, and then there's the actual story, <laughs> And it's difficult to see things with 100% clarity. So getting the log of your own eye is saying, hey, I'm going to have the humility to say that in the situation, I'm not God, I can't see anything, and actually I'm making a lot of assumptions right now. So let me, instead of making assumptions of suspicion and how that other person's a terrible person, let me say, hey, if, is there 1% of the conflict that I can be responsible for? Maybe there, there probably is. Maybe there isn't, right? Maybe there isn't. But I would imagine most of the time there is at least 1% of the conflict that you can own, and you own it. 
with everything that you have? How can I take responsibility um, for my own uh, conflict, right? So, because sometimes when the anger happens inside of us, when we start getting angry, that we know that something's wrong. Um, so sometimes the, we're angry because the wrong is outside of us and it's completely somebody else's fault. We have to process that. But if we were to be honest, sometimes the reason we're angry is because of us, because of our own inside, because of our own perfectionism, because of our own judgmentalism, because somebody told us no and we don't like boundaries for other people. We don't like when other people put up boundaries for us. We want something and somebody says no, we get angry. That's not their problem. That's our problem. We got to figure that out. We got to get the log um, out of our own eye, right? And so one time I was, um, I was leading a meeting one time and I just joined staff here at First Orlando and I'm leading a meeting and there was about 15 people there in the room. Um, and um, so I'm, and I, there was these like two guys that were there in, in the room and they started having a side conversation. And here I am trying to lead this meeting right? And they were just like chatting, 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 chatting. And now like I'm trying to speak out of my mouth, but I'm also like listening with my ear. And I noticed myself like getting distracted with what they were saying as I was trying to talk. And I started getting annoyed, but I shoved it down and I just kept going. And then I started getting more frustrated, but I didn't say anything. And then I just kept going. And so eventually I said, and I outbursted like, hey, can we just have one conversation, please? I got to own it. So afterwards, <laughs> afterwards, I went to my boss and I was like, hey, um, I think I came across, I think my tone was bad <laughs> whenever I uh, like kind of bursted in the meeting. Was, am I just perceiving that or is that true? He's like, no, that's true. You need to go talk to them. <laughs> okay, let me, let me own my part. Let me get the log out of my own eye here. Number three. So number one, glorify God. Number two, get the log out of your own eye. Number three, uh, go and gently restore. And we're going to ask this. How can I love by gently raising awareness of their part of the conflict, right? So with gently restoring, here's what we want to do. Um, sometimes people are incredibly unaware of what their actions, the consequences of their actions. So with all the love and grace and gentleness, that's important, is gentleness. We can go and we can approach people on how we can raise awareness, right? Um, as well as you, maybe you may say, hey, well, it's not my problem that they have a problem. And what Jesus says, it is your problem. See, it, in the text, it says, hey, if somebody has some, an offense against you, a grievance against you, you are responsible to go and to run to the conflict. If you're aware that conflict exists, it is your responsibility to go and to run to the conflict. You don't get an excuse just because you didn't start it. You don't get an excuse because it's not your fault, right? God is calling us that we become aware of conflict. We can go and we can gently restore. And here's why. Um, even if you don't like somebody, right? Even if you don't like somebody, even if they kind of get on your skin, you kind of know them, and you have to, like, see them every week here, you don't need to make eye contact, right? They just kind of get under your skin a little bit. Um, but even if you, it's not your problem, um, they are a human being made in the image of God that has value and dignity and worth. I want that to sink in for a second. The people that make you angry, the people that annoy you, the people that frustrate you are people, human beings, made in the image of God that have value and dignity and worth. And because of their childhood wounds, their family of origin, their story, what they've experienced, their own brokenness that they contribute to that, um, they, they are acting out in a way that you find incredibly annoying. And the most loving thing that you can do is not to ignore it, is whenever there's conflict, the most loving thing that you can do, even if you don't like them and you find them annoying, whatever, the most loving thing that you can do is you go with all the gentleness to restore them by making them aware of a conflict. That there, is a, that there is an issue, right? And they may, maybe like they started it and now they know there's a problem, you know there's a problem and they're not doing anything about it and they just want to sit and be bitter. 
what you can do is go and gently restore them and try to rescue them out of their bitterness. Now, um, it may not work, but that's not your responsibility. That's their responsibility once you've done your part, right? So, um, uh, so it's, it's so a few practicals with th- a few practicals with this. Okay, so whenever you try to go and actually have a conversation with somebody, um, text or face to face or voice. Now, most of us, I heard whispers. I won't call anybody out. I heard whispers just now. Text, definitely text. You text them, text them, text them, text them. Don't talk, don't talk. You text them, text them. I'm gonna, I'm, I, can, I can cry. You know why? Because I'm a better writer. So let me just write everything out, and then I'm just going to text them and send it out, and it's going to be amazing, and then I never have to deal with it ever again. Um, uh, there's time for text. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but I want you to know, that it's not on the screen here, but just know this. this is an axiom that we say a lot around here. Um, words you write come back to bite. Words you write come back to bite. Meaning, text is incredibly helpful to start a conversation, at least to schedule a meeting, to set up, to meet somebody for coffee, face-to-face. Text is not okay to try to reconcile with somebody. You do that face-to-face or over the phone if you're long distance or not in the same town, right? So there's time for texting, but sooner or later, you have to do it face-to-face. One-on-one is ideal because you want, as well as, so texting, because face-to-face, you can can see expression, you can get tone. Via text message, I've seen this happen a lot where people will show me like screenshots of text messages and people are just like, just like talking past each other. And it is not gentle. See, it's really difficult to um, to not feel the human experience uh, uh, just sitting with somebody, understanding tone and emotion and nuance and be able to have a real conversation, looking somebody in the eyeball. I think that's what Jesus was talking about when he says, hey, look, your goat's in Jerusalem. You don't text Galilee. You leave your goat, six-day journey. You're going back to Galilee. You got to go make things right. So if they can journey six days, we can schedule a one-on-one for coffee to talk about things. So uh, one-on-one is ideal. So... Um, one-on-one is ideal, but also it's important to keep things private, right? I remember, um, so there was um, a story around, there was a life group, and there were like rumors that somebody in the life group was an alcoholic, but nobody would actually talk to the person. They were just like talking around the person and not keeping things private. So like everyone knew about like this person and wondering, are they an alcoholic? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And like nobody was actually going and talking to the person, and that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus would have us, hey, if there's any conflict, if we suspect anything, just something that may be off, we run to conflict. We go, we make things right, right? Uh, so one-on-one is ideal, but you may at times, so now that's the general rule, and I'll hear the, the few exceptions. Um, you may need to go ahead and bring somebody else along. Here's a good example. Uh, creepy dudes. <laughs> creepy dudes, right? <laughs> you know this. So let's say that there's, and because it typically happens with creepy dudes, to where, like, there's a guy, and he's just making um, our female friends feel very creepy. Or maybe some of our male, male friends, too. Like, he just, he just creeps people out, right? And just, like, there's something about him we don't know, right? And there's, so, um, but typically it's, like, typically, not stereotypically, it's uh, just a creepy dude, and there's, there's females, and um, uh, they just feel unsafe around this person. And there's something like very specific that they can talk about, a comment that he made, a line, um, just inviting them on a weird trip, like the first time that he meets them. Like, that's really weird. And they don't feel safe now going to talk with him one-on-one. So we would say, hey, that's incredibly appropriate at that point. If you don't feel safe, 
um, to bring someone else along, whether it be a, a male friend of yours, whether it be me, if it's around here, whether it be some of our staff around here, to have the conversation that you need to have. But just because someone's creepy and uncomfortable does not excuse you from running to conflict. We have to resolve this. And if you have, to, if there's more specifics within that to talk through, like please come talk to us. But don't let creepiness or um, um, don't let creepiness or the perception of just like feeling uncomfortable or uneasy prevent us from resolving the conflict that we need to resolve and gently restoring, right? So as well as if you just have a really high degree of confidence, it's not going to go well. Like you just know there's history. It's not going to go well. You bring a friend. Um, hey, if you feel like the other person is really good with their words and they have a pattern of just like, and you've tried before to talk about things and they just have a way to manipulate the conversation and just like kind of twist things and you just can't say things and every single time you leave the meeting, you're like, oh, that's not what I wanted to say. I didn't say what I wanted to say. And you just like feel weird about it and they're just really good with words and arguing, t take a friend. Um, or um, if there's somebody that, and these are just examples, I'm sure there's more case by case, but these are just a few. Or if you know of somebody that has a clear sin issue in their life, um, and um, you know them, but you also, there's a friend of yours that you're close with that knows them better, and you have not gossiped about them, they're just aware of the situation, that's an incredibly appropriate time to let the friend um, lead the way and talk to the friend and come up with a game plan where you can be part of the solution and not just gossiping about the problem. Um, uh, so as well as, um, so face-to-face -face is ideal, one-on-one is ideal, keep things private, there are exceptions to go uh, two-on-one, um, but also go humbly and repeatedly because it may take the other person some time for God to work on their heart. And this is where we can be gentle and we can be gracious. It may take time for God to work on somebody's heart. So with that, um, we can go again and go repeatedly and do whatever we can, whatever God is calling us to do, to run court conflict and make things right. And number four, I'm sorry, wrapping up here. Number four, um, how can I go and reconcile, right? Go and reconcile is this. How can I forgive and work toward a solution to this conflict, right? Sometimes conflict, it's not just words. Sometimes like there's material, sometimes there's property, there's things that need to be resolved. Like they broke a mirror of yours, right? They, they lost your um, phone, they threw your phone into the river. Like, I don't know. So like there's some things need to be resolved, right? So just there, um, they don't get to be excused for the consequences of their actions. But you need to work through that and talk about that, right? So go and reconcile. So how can I forgive and work together toward a solution to this conflict? See, and whenever we talk through forgiveness, um, we can't forgive on our own. We have to rely on God's strength to even give us the ability and capacity to forgive in the first place. And forgiveness, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is an act of will. See, this is a call on God to change our hearts. And what actually what forgiveness is, is like whenever you consider somebody and you forgive them, you release any liability of punishment or penalty from you to them. Like, hey, look, they've harmed me. Hey, look, they'd have wronged. Yes, yes, yes. And again, with more um, um, severe traumatic things that we've really experienced, this, this is a process. This is not a um, uh, go right now to the table right now. Like there's, there's things to work through. But I still want to raise the ultimate goal of forgiveness because whenever we're unforgiving, here's what this does. And some of you know this. Um, unforgiveness is like drinking a bottle of poison, hoping the other person's going to die. 
when we just hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts towards someone else, and we've never gone through the steps needed to be able to, 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 to make things whole, right, then we're just, we're just hurting ourselves. And this is what Jesus is trying to rescue us from, where we can see and experience um, his kingdom. Um, so if one option is to retreat, the other option is to attack, here's the Jesus option, is to reconcile and to forgive. When we experience anger, when we experience conflict, we don't need to retreat from the anger and the conflict. We don't need to attack the anger and the conflict. We can go, we can reconcile, and we can remember to glorify God. We can remember to uh, get the log out of our own eye. We can remember to um, go and gently restore. And we can remember to go and to reconcile and to forgive, right? And as, as we're closing here, like, I want you to think about just, and I've kind of mentioned this before, just us here at the table as a spiritual family. Like, I want you to imagine what happens if we don't figure this out. Every week you come to the table and it's weird. Every week you come to the table and there's hostility. Every week you come to the table, not even the table, let's say your life group. Every week you go to the life group and it's just weird, right? There's no life there. There's no wholeness there. There's no healing there, right? Now I want you to imagine, hey, look. We are a people, collectively, every single person here in this room, we are a people that we run to conflict. We're not okay just passive and being idle or being incredibly aggressive or blowing things up. We see conflict, we run to conflict. And ideally, we do so privately and we do so one-on-one. -on -one, and we resolve things where nobody else knows there was even an issue. That would be amazing. And now... Us as a spiritual family, we're a place where there's so much vibrancy, so much joy that you get to experience, that your friends that aren't here yet get to experience, that we are just a people. And we are people of First Orlando just as our church. We are a people that just gets to experience and see the kingdom of God and what God wants to do in our hearts and how God wants us to be, to be change agents to run toward conflict in a way that we just get to experience so much joy in a way that we've never thought fathomable. I believe that for you. I believe that for us here as a spiritual family, and that's what I want. And that's what I want the table to be known for, is we're known for Jesus. And we're known for, as Jesus, that we're people that go and reconcile and forgive, and we're not okay with just letting things be. Now, the spiritual family, here's the second one. Um, um, some of us, the reason that we've experienced, the, the reason we, we, we operate in conflict the way that we do is not because of our spiritual family, it's because of our biological family. Some of us, the conflict that we experience is because of our mom or because of our dad. And now it's not even with them anymore, but the way that we grew up in our relationship with our mom and our dad and our parents or lack thereof, lack of a mom or lack of a dad, or if they were spotty in our lives and were inconsistent in our lives, right? So we take this and now we go to future relationships. And if we don't work on this, we just continue this family script both with around here with your friends, but also, I know for a lot of you, you want a family of your own. And you just continue this into your family of your own. So now the way that you parent is the way that you saw your parents parenting. And we, ha we have such a beautiful opportunity here starting tonight to rewrite your family script. You don't have to lean in. And so the ways that you grew up, there, there's, there's forgiveness to our parents, whatever, whatever you may be going through, there's dealing with that. But tonight it starts with us. And tonight we can rewrite this amazing family script of what God wants to do in us to where like what, what we experienced, our future kids don't need to experience that. 
They can experience a family where conflict was something celebrated and conflict was something that was able to work toward and move toward and process in really healthy ways and not in a way that is suppressing emotion. Like for me, um, as amazing as my parents were, like something that I had to navigate personally was I, I would just suppress my anger. And now, like, I have to work through that, right? Now, in talking with Lauren, you're not going to believe this. We have conflict. Yo, accident. when she was pregnant with Vera, I accidentally threw away her Cuban sandwich. Have you ever thrown away food of a pregnant woman? It's not good, y'all. And we had to navigate that, right? So, so now, and being able to navigate that in, in healthy ways, and now, like, w- with, with Vera, like, everything that I want is to be able to um, create a way where we can process anger and, f- and forgiveness and wholeness and restoration and healing. And now even, like, I talked to my mom um, today, today I, uh, just about the, the story that I was going to share earlier in the car, um, and she was like, I don't even remember that story. <laughs> I'm like, really? She's like, no, I don't remember that story. Because what happened was um, sh- shortly, af- shortly after that, we were able to, to talk about it and to work, and to work through it like, in, in a healthy way. Um, but I think just for me, just in the, and for your own family as well, and the, the, the beauty and the brokenness of whatever your family is, biological family, um, you can take that and lean more into what Jesus wants to do in you and through you to change your family script. It's possible. You don't need to experience. You don't need to continue experiencing what you've experienced up to this point. So now here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, uh, we're going long, but we, we, need, we need to tonight. This is, this is for you. Um, I, we're going to have extended reflection time because we can't just sit. And we can't just walk out of this room without doing something with what we just heard and what Jesus is trying to do in us tonight. Right? We have to do something with it. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to have extended reflection time. So we're, we're going to have the band um, come up and get ready. And for about... 10 minutes or so, um, we're just going to have music just playing, kind of the, the keys going, the music just going over the room. And I would love for you to pull out your phone or pull out your journal um, because there's questions on the screen that for the next 10, 15 or so minutes, you need to process. And you need to think through. And we have questions here that we're going to introduce in just one second um, or, or now. <laughs> Uh, to, to, help, to help you to process and think through. So there's a total of, um, is it, wait, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine questions? Nine, it, it's, on the, it's three slides, they'll cycle through. Um, the questions for you just to think through about your current conflict. But I want you to think through as we're wrapping up here, um, as you're reflecting. Um, what, think through a current, <clears throat> a current situation that you're in where there's conflict. And if you can't think of one, let me help you. With a friend, with a coworker, with a boss, with parents, with siblings, with roommates, with somebody in your life group, with somebody that you serve with, with somebody that it's the same person um, every week at the Chipotle that you go to on Thursday nights, right? Just think of, think of all of your relationships and all the different areas of your life. And then I want you to think through, am I right? Is there harmony in every single one of those relationships? And I would imagine the answer is no, because that's impossible. So now, what opportunity is there for us to run to conflict and be able to process and help us take next steps? So what these questions are going to do is to help you journal and help you think through a next step that you can take in the relationships um, that you have. There's going to be, so here's what, this is going to be kind of, it may may feel uncomfortable, but I want to, now think of this as that we're no longer um, at the table on Tuesday nights in the Language Ministry Center. I, know, I want us to imagine that we're out on a tr- retreat together. 
And what happens at a retreat is you can kind of go around the room, you can go around the building, you can go outside, you can just leave your seat and just go wherever you want to go. So I would love to invite you, as uncomfortable as it is, I would love to invite you to get to a space by yourself. For the next 10 minutes, there's, there's corners over here, there's corners over there. Um, you can go, sit over there. There's room in the back. You can just leave the room if you need to. Literally, the building's open. Go wherever you want, right? Just find a place by yourself for the next 10 minutes or 10, 15 minutes or so and, and start journaling and processing these questions. And then the band's going to start singing. But even whenever they start singing, don't feel pressure to stop what you're doing. They're just going to sing over you. If you're processing with God and dealing with God, conflict, and then you deal with God and the conflict you need to deal with. Here's what we can't do. We can't um, um, offer our sacrifice to God while there's still conflict lingering and we don't even have a plan for a next step. So what I want to do for the next 10, 12 minutes is help you create a plan for a next step to navigate the conflict that we have going on. Um, so we have the questions we'll cycle through. Um, we have, have it on a timer there. We have the band set up. I talked to, uh, did I talk about the prayer team? No. Oh, okay, okay, cool. <laughs> so while all that's happening, while you're, uh, this, is why I wrote, this is why I wrote this down. I put it in red. Um, while all that's happening, we're going to have a prayer team that's down front. So maybe your next step is I need to talk with somebody right now. So we're going to have people down here. We're going to have people over here. Um, we're, we're just um, Guys with guys, girls with girls. Um, we um, just... We want to pray for you. We want to help you. We want to do everything that we can to help you take a next step in running to conflict, not being okay with conflict. Okay, I think I've set everything up. I think we're good. So you know what to do for the next 12 minutes or so. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you, God. Man, you are not okay with conflict. And God, because you are so not okay with conflict, you sent your son Jesus to come and to rescue us and give us new life, God, because we experienced hostility toward you. God, and you weren't okay with the hostility that we experienced toward you, God, so you wanted to give us harmony. And the way that you did that is you brought your son Jesus to come to open our eyes, to awaken our spirit, God, to see you and your beauty and your glory, Jesus. And my prayer now here at the table is tonight, we don't remain unchanged. God, that our prayer, my prayer is for me. God, right now, God, help me for the next 12 minutes. Help me think through any unresolved conflict in my life that I need to have conversations with. And God, and help all of my table friends and my table family, God, to think through conversations that we need to, ha that we need to have, God. God, I pray uh, for our phones to get, for our, our thumbs and our fingers to get tired because we're setting up one-on-ones and texting people. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.